see you. I've not had the chance to meet all of you yet. My name is Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I do get to teach today. And Kevin is right. Um, it's a special day today. We're going to dedicate some kids. We're going to bring them up and pray for them, and uh, ooh and ah, and then we're going to cook them up and eat them. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, no, we're, we've been going through the book of Galatians, and it's been good, but we wanted to pause. Sometimes in a church, it's good for the church to have a situation where people are hearing sermons all the time, but it's good for us occasionally to hit the pause and for the people to be the sermon sometimes, if that makes any sense at all. Today is one of those days, so I'm not going to be preaching for very long. I'd like to just kind of introduce the whole process and talk to you a little bit about why we do this, why it's important. So if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 6. That's going to be the text that shows us Christ more clearly. It's going to lift the weight for us. It's going to show us why we dedicate kids why it matters. While you're turning there, while you're looking for where Deuteronomy might be in your Bible, <laughs> um, some of you might have read this in the news. I sure did. I picked up on it. But police were called to a home in Pierre, South Dakota here this last week because a babysitter was running into a problem with the eight-year-old girl that she was watching. This eight-year-old had a four-inch blade and was fending off anyone who would come near and was threatening her own life. She allegedly already stabbed her own leg and was putting it threateningly to her own body. And at any time anyone would come around, she would try to use it to, to fend them off. So the babysitter runs out of clues. I, I don't know what to do with a situation like this. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't either. So she calls the police. The police come and they try to get the blade away from the eight-year-old girl. She ain't having it. She's waving it around. She's threatening herself. So... The police, doing the best they can to get the situation under control, they tase her. <laughs> they tase the eight-year-old girl. She drops to the floor like a fish. They get the knife away. They take the girl. They bring her to a hospital. They take care of her. She's under surveillance. Everything is fine, right? Parents get on the scene, and they're upset. I mean, they're livid. They're besides themselves. And they're not so much upset because... Their child, their eight-year-old, had hit such a low season in her life. They're not upset because the eight-year-old um, was having a difficult moment. They were upset because their eight-year-old was tased. And they're upset to the point to where they want the job taken away from the police officer. And in fact, they're already talking about getting paperwork together to sue the police department. Right? True story. Now, before I go on, can I just tell you, if any of you see my kids doing something like that or anything that even rhymes with that, and you have a taser in the car, go ahead and give them a pop, all right? <laughs> go ahead and squeeze it. And if I come around and I start running my mouth and talking about lawsuits, just give me a pop too, all right? Because I need it as a parent. Listen, we need to be careful with our kids, don't we? I mean, don't we need to be intentional and careful with our kids? I'm not talking about being intentional and careful so that we don't tase them I'm talking about being intentional and careful so that we can nurture them to a God-glorifying lifestyle where tasing isn't even in the picture. We have to be careful and intentional. Some of you might be asking yourself the same thing I've asked myself early on in my Christian walk. Why is there even such a thing as a child dedication? I mean, is there something that's given spiritually? Is there some spiritual quickening or something that's uh, bequeathed to the child? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, Luke, isn't it just assumed that if the parents love Jesus and if they live a godly life, that the kid is just going to turn out okay? I mean, isn't it true, Luke, and isn't it 
just able to be assumed that if the parents are good people, then the kids will turn out to be good people. No. And we don't assume anything. We don't. We take great intentionality, great careful intentionality with how we view our kids, teach our kids, discipline the next generation, form the next generation, coach the next generation, direct, encourage, cry with, laugh. Great intentionality. Listen, this is, and I know what you're thinking. Half of you are here because you're going to watch a child be dedicated today. Half of you are here because you didn't know that's what we were doing today, right? Some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I came on that day. I mean, if you don't have kids or your kids are already grown up, I can see that. But listen, listen, hear me out. There's something in here for you. There's something in here that should confront you, and I do need your help in a little bit. Okay, so hang on with me. Hang on with me, because when it comes to coaching and pastoring the next generation— Listen, it's going to happen. They're going to be coached. They're going to be taught whether we do the teaching or coaching or not. Our kids are, are going to be parented. The next generation is going to be formed and molded whether we do it or not. And if we don't do it, listen, there's a lot of alternatives out there. A lot. Listen, if you don't teach your kids, if we're not intentional about teaching our kids about grace, right? Grace, very simply, if you're not used to hearing that word or been here for very long, grace is God's unmerited favor on you, totally despite you, even though you deserve the opposite. Right? If we don't teach the next generation what grace is, there's alternatives out there. If they don't learn that grace is a gift, then they're going to try to earn it. They're going to obey God out of shame, out of greed. They're going to develop a works mentality and live a legalistic life. That's an alternative. If we're not intentional about teaching our kids about community, there's alternatives out there. There's always affinity, where you just hang out with people that are just like you, doing just the things you want to do at just the right time that you want to. That's affinity. That's not community. Or even worse is isolation, where they're their own island because they look down on everybody else because the rest of the world hasn't caught up with how brilliant or smart or talented that they are. So they're their own thing, waiting for everyone else to catch up. That, those are alternatives. We don't teach them about Jesus and coach them towards Jesus and pastor our, our kids towards Jesus. Well, listen, there's all kinds of multiple versions of little Jesus out there. All kinds of false saviors that overpromise and underdeliver. I mean, if we don't teach our kids about authority and law, there's always tasers. If we don't teach our kids about responsibility, In humility, there's always lawsuits. Whether we do the teaching or not, they will be taught. Whether we nurture the kids or not, they will be nurtured. So we don't assume that just because we might be good people that our kids will turn out to be the same. We don't assume that. We have to be more careful than that. So we are dedicating these kids today to the Lord, which means they are, does not mean that they are getting saved today. Let me make a clarification. There's nothing salvific happening today. They're not even giving a good head start on the rest of the populace with God's grace, all right? Basically, what we're doing is nothing different than what Hannah did in the Bible in the Old Testament. I'm going to explain that. We dedicate our kids much the same way that she did. Now, keep your finger in, in um, Deuteronomy because I don't want you turning away from that. That's the main text, but I'm going to throw a couple up on the screen. Look at 1 Samuel one twenty-seven. right? For this child, Hannah says, I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him 
to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now, Samuel, Hannah had her womb closed by God, it says in the Old Testament. It says in 1 Samuel, actually. God opened it, gave her a son. She's so excited. She gives the son to God, belongs to God. What she's basically saying here is this child, Samuel, does not belong to me. He's a gift to me, and I'm a steward. I'm just stewarding a gift that does not belong to me. I've given up worldly claim on this child. That's what we see happening here. So our dedication today, what we're basically saying is, is God, we are going to coach and train these kids not to glorify themselves, but to glorify you. Not even to glorify us as parents. We're dedicating these kids to you, Lord, that we're teaching them that the goal of their life is not just to be happy. And the goal of their life isn't to make us happy. But the goal of their life, the reason they exist, is to enjoy Christ and glorify him with every single compartment, every single breath of their life. That is what our goal is. Because believe it or not, you should believe it, we all dedicate our kids to something. We do. It's really not hard to do. I mean, we, we're in the business as parents is building worshipers. If you want to dedicate your kids to career, it's really not that hard to do. Just do it yourself. Dedicate yourself to the career. Make sure that the way your kids, the way this next generation grows up, that all they think about is getting the bottom dollar. All they think about is getting that perfect nine to five that they can retire at 59 and a half years old and live the dream. It's not hard to do that. You could do the same thing with recreation, with family. There's you, that is the power we have as adults, and it's the power we have as parents, right? I want to jump right into this text because it's big for us. Look at Deuteronomy 6. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And they shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, let's just pause right there. What we see is that God makes the parents the primary responsible party in passing on faith to the kids. That's the, that's the parents' job. That's what we see. It's the first thing we see. He's, command, he's commanding mommies and daddies to remember God's words and pass them on, to remember God's works and then pass them on. According to the Bible, that's mom and dad's job. It's not our job. It's not the church's job. Listen here. Listen carefully. It's not Sunday school's job to raise your kids to love Jesus. That's not our calling. Now we're going to supplement it. We're going to help. We're going to serve you. We're going to coach. We're going to develop a relationship. Whatever it takes to help you do that, we're going to come alongside you, but we're not going to stand in for you. It's just simply not our job. The Bible shows us very clearly here who that belongs to. But Luke, I don't know very much about God and Jesus in the Bible. That's why I bring my kids to church. I don't know much about that. Exactly. You better get there. You better start to develop a foundation in your own life. And listen, it doesn't mean you need to memorize all the order of which kings lived and died and when they lived and died. And it doesn't mean that you need to memorize all these little facts. It does mean that you need to understand what grace is. You need to have a gospel fluency about you so that you're able to see things in your kid's life and deal with them quick. Right? We'll help you with that. But friend, it is 
your job. And I said your, not just to the parents, but to the church as well. I'm going to get into that here in a minute. But the beautiful thing I love most about this passage is it tells us when this happens, right? It doesn't just happen in this, this format right here. It happens all the time, all throughout the day, when you're watching TV, right? It's a great time when you're just sitting around. Whatever just came on the screen, does it have a theme of the gospel in it? Is there sacrifice? Is there grace? Is there justice? Is there wrath? Is there sowing and reaping? Is there something in there you can use to teach your kid? Is there something in there that spits in the face of the gospel? Are you able to contend with that? That's a primary time to disciple your kid, to pastor your kid. All of you. That's a primary time for us to do that, right? It's not the only time. Think about it. You can do it whenever you're driving down the road. You see a homeless person standing out there. Someone cuts you off. It's a great time. It's a great time to pass on your faith to the next generation, right? At your child's bedside, when they're most vulnerable and the day is over and they're tired and it's just you and them. In the morning, right? It discipline, whenever you're disciplining your kids. Listen, that's a totally different sermon for a totally different day. But I'm telling you as a parent, there is no finer time to teach your children about the gospel than whenever you are disciplining them. Man, that's a great, great, great moment. If you do it well. It's a great moment. You see, there's planned moments where we do this. And there's unplanned moments where we do this, right? When they've been caught sinning. Whenever they're heartbroken. Whenever they need encouragement. Whenever they need challenge. Unplanned moments. You see, it just can't happen in an hour a week, can it? You just can't do it in five minutes every day. It comes from the steady life living on top of each other, congruently moving in the same direction, on top of each other every single day. The passing on. That's when it happens. And now, while this is clear, while it's clear that parents are responsible for passing on the faith, it's also clear that God does not give this responsibility to moms and dads in isolation. This whole thing is written in the context of community. It's a community project, which is why I'm going to need your help today and why I really need you to listen as a church. This is a community project because, listen, church, we need your help. We need your encouragement. I mean, someone encouraged me the other day because of how I was um, being a dad to my kids. Man, I needed that because, you know what, it feels like I stink a lot of times at that. I need someone to say, hey, I've noticed how you do this, and man, I really appreciate that. It's making me think more about whatever. I need that. Or accountability. Or, hey, I just need eyes looking where my eyes can't look. You know, with my son, he just turned 12, and it's interesting as he grows, I'm, I notice that he hears my voice with a lot of weight. I have a lot of gravity when I speak to him. I know when I'm speaking to him, he hears me. I know that, right? It's, it's becoming very aware to me. But the thing is, I'm also watching and noticing he's paying attention to other men in the church whose voice also is getting deeper in his life. I mean, Jeff Rowland is teaching my son how to be a masculine man who loves Jesus with all of his heart. (laughs) Garrett is. Kevin is. A lot of you men are. A lot of you men, he looks to you and he's watching you. How do you celebrate? How do you mourn? How do you joke around? When are you serious? When do you get serious? How do you pray? He's watching that. It takes a community. It's a community project. Listen, for the first time in our church's history, it won't be the last, but for the first time today, we're going to be dedicating the child of a single mom. Single moms are going to be coming in and out of here, right? 
If there's just a mom parenting a kid, where do you think that kid's going to learn how to be a man or be a woman for Christ? The mom is going to do a lot of the work. I mean, God bless single moms. But listen, there's going to need to be a time, friend, where you are able to step in and say, listen, you don't talk to your mom like that. Listen, you shouldn't be talking to you. Hey, listen, you should expect more from men. You should, having real moments, real moments that they will not forget for the rest of their lives, that is a church project. We have to do that. You have to lean in. You can't just look at it from a distance and go, whew, glad that's not my kid. Glad my parenting is done. You can't do that. This is given in the context of community. We, we just have way too much to teach, way too much work to do. There's a passage in Psalm 78. It'll be up on the screen too. And it says this, He, meaning God, God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. Why is this even in this sermon? It's because each passing generation forgets what was important to the first and the previous one. It loses itself over time. Mark Driscoll says it very effectively this way. He says it takes three generations to lose the gospel. One generation believes it and proclaims it. Another generation just over-assumes it. And the third generation either forgets it or denies it. It's a community project where we are passing what is important, the values we have from our generation to the next and we have to do it compellingly, and we have to do it clearly, and we have to do it consistently. We need help as parents. This is the legacy we lay down, friends. This is what we're teaching our kids, that Jesus is king. He's king. And his perfect life and his very perfect death was very sufficient to God. A satisfied, God is satisfied. Because Jesus is the last priest offering up the the last offering, the last sacrifice. A sufficient Jesus, a satisfied God. And what it does is it gives us a gift of grace. Grace that comes to you totally despite your best attempts to get it yourself and totally despite your worst efforts to blow it. It comes to you as a gift so that you can't boast. It comes to you as a gift, a treasure So you can take all your merit badges off because it's an unmerited gift. God's holy favor on you. And it comes to us because a wrath was averted from us. When I say wrath, listen, this is very important. It's a wrath that was perfectly measured. God didn't just, he didn't just indiscriminately just toss his wrath around just to get a point across. He was punishing every sin that had ever happened and every sin that ever will happen. It was perfect judgment, perfectly measured to the last drop, and it was perfectly justified. And it was poured in exhaustion on the person of Jesus Christ, not because he was perfect Jesus, but because he was imperfect you, and he was imperfect me. And whenever this happened, and he took every last part of it, every last little bit of that punishment, that means that it no longer hangs over the head of his children. God's children, his holy nation walks around without that cloud of punishment thundering over their head. It's gone. It's been exhausted on Christ. This sweet story, this true reality of what happened, it frees us. It's liberating. 
It frees us to live a God-glorifying life. So Luke, why are you telling us all of this? Why, why would you deviate there? It's really not a deviation. The most important thing we could leave our kids is that legacy of that gospel. Because this is what happens in traditional America. Traditional church America, even. We teach our kids the do's and the don'ts. These are things you do, and these are things you don't. Stop yelling. Quit being rude. Right? Don't steal. Brush your teeth. Stop picking your boogers. This is good. It's good that we teach them do's and don'ts. It's going to keep them out of jail, right? Keep them from knocking over a service station and getting tased someday. It's not a bad thing to teach our kids rights and wrongs. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, and we're not grace and gospel saturated in our parenting, it becomes partial parenting. And then what we're doing is we're just teaching them to be legalists who perform and do or don't do in order to get a blessing or avert a spanking. It's very easy to do this as a parent. We can accidentally grow legalists. We're performers who just do good things and don't do bad ones with no underlying reason at all. They're just staying out of trouble for the sake of staying out of trouble. And they're doing good things for the hope of getting a benefit or a profit from mankind. Let me put some skin on that just a little bit because I'm just about done. Let me put some skin on this. We do not tell our kids to stop being jerks to their siblings because it's rude. We don't just do that. We don't simply and exclusively do that. Hey, stop being rude to your sister. Stop doing that because it's rude. That's partial parenting. You just told them not to do something or to do something, and they're just going to follow a rule. So the next day, if they were not being rude, and you asked my son, why are you not being rude? Because my dad told me not to be. Because it's wrong. And those are true statements. That's partial parenting. Son, you need to have grace instead of being rude. What is grace, son? Well, it's, it's a gift that I didn't deserve. In fact, I deserve the opposite. Right. So what does that mean for your sister? It means that she, she should get my grace. Well, okay, but why should she get grace from you? Well, because God has given me grace. How did God give you grace? He did it through Jesus. Right, so you want to punch your sister, right? Yes, I want to punch my sister, right? But you're not. Why? Because I'm giving her grace, right? And Jesus didn't punch you, but he gave you grace instead. Yes, Daddy, you're right. Do you see the difference right there? Do you see the difference? It's the same obedience. He's still not going to punch his sister, but one is because Daddy told him not to, and the other one is because he's trying to act like Christ, It's the difference between partial parenting and bringing them up into full knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord. We show them that even their behavior is rooted in Jesus and in glorifying Jesus, not staying out of trouble for the sake of staying out of trouble. Man, this is so important. This is why kids, they get out of the house. I did it. You get out of the house, you go to college, and you're like, woo No rules. They're all gone. I'm going to buy what I want to buy, when I want to buy it. I'm going to come in whenever I feel like it. I'm not going to do anything unless I feel like it. And I'm only going to do it if I feel like it. Right? That means I was only obeying because there was a set of laws clamping me down. I was not at all trying to be like Jesus. There was no underlying reason in why I was obeying or disobeying. We have to saturate every moment in the gospel. This is the legacy we have to leave our kids. This is the legacy we have to leave the next generation. We don't leave them a list. We leave them a story of what God has done for mankind in the person of Jesus. 
We don't leave them a list of things to do and not to do, but the story of one who did because we could never do. That's what we have to leave instead. So yeah, I want you to do good things. Yeah, I want you to obey. But I want you to do it for the right reason. Not because you don't want to get spanked. Not because you want a a cookie. But I want you to do it because you love Jesus and you're aiming your life at glorifying him with every part of it.